Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks. Regarding Cade's injury, uh, it is not good, not positive. I was suspicious of that the other night. Uh, he's got an ACL injury, so it's going to have to be repaired, and he'll be out for the season. It's the news Hawkeye fans feared. Cade McNamara injured his ACL on Saturday, and he will not play again this season. Here's the good news. We've got former Hawkeye wide receiver Matt Vandenberg in the studio today to break down the upcoming game against Purdue. Matt, glad to have you with us today. Thanks yeah, so much. Thanks. Uh, we've got a very tempered level of excitement on Saturday after the win, just knowing the Hawkeyes might be without their starting quarterback. How did you feel like this offense adjusted after Cade went out of that game on Saturday? Well, not surprisingly, they ran the ball a little bit. <laughs> uh, but Deacon Hill, I thought, looked pretty good in the pocket. Um, maybe it's because he's not as worried about linemen that are the same size as he is to hit him. <laughs> I think he's around 260 or so. But... Yeah. Um, I thought he felt comfortable in the pocket. One thing that really stuck out to me was his ball placement. Uh, now, we had, I think there were six total drops between the receivers and the tight ends, but the fact that the ball is hitting him in the hands, I think it hit Deontay Vines in the center of his zero, hit Caleb Brown on the numbers. So like his ball placement, which normally you're a little rattled, it's a night game, you haven't played, you were a backup at Wisconsin before you transferred in, but to go on to perform that way, there was one interception that he threw the ball a little bit late. But yeah. other than that, I thought he looked very good. Can you break that down a little bit? As a wide receiver talking about, like, was there something that you noticed in the receivers that may have caused some of those drops you saw out there? <sighs> I mean, I'm going to call it an outlier. You know, I mean, I only dropped a couple <laughs> balls while I was there, and I'm going to stick to that story. <laughs> but the fact, like, I mean, it, there can be a difference in how a quarterback throws a ball. There can be some validity to that. Uh, and maybe Deacon's a little more gunslinger than Cade, mm -hmm. uh, depending upon how the ball comes out. And maybe there's less touch because most of those passes were shorter throws. Um, so maybe it's got a little zip that our guys just aren't used to catching yet. But either way, I expect that to be out of the way. And then a full week of preparation, I think, will lead, lead well uh, to, to this week. should I ask you about this while you're here. Uh, I mean, there's been some talk about the amount of targets that receivers have been getting this year. I mean, is that something that you feel like receivers – is that something that they get frustrated about, you know, not getting as many targets maybe as the tight ends or as they would expect to try to boost some of those numbers if they want to go on and play the next level? I would say yes and no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you got All-American tight ends, it's hard not to want to get them the ball if you really care about winning, right? I think it's more about being the team guy and what you can do to help the team. Uh, I can say we weren't super pass-heavy when I was there, you know, same thing. But when you got a guy like Luke Lachey who... Obviously, he's hurt, but an All-American guy, Eric All, is showing that you need to get him the football. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the Deacon Hill's first drive when they went down and scored a touchdown, he caught three of those. Uh, one of them was an you know, outstanding catch that he palms it on his way down. The other one, they throw him at the line of scrimmage, and he gives five efforts to go score a touchdown. Like, there's no reason that guy shouldn't be getting the amount of targets. And when you're on the outside, you just got to make the plays when they come. I mean, like I said, Deacon Hill was looking for them. They were open. Now it's just a matter of making those plays, so that way there's that much more trust uh, within the facility to get them the ball. Got about four tight ends that can make those kind of plays for the Hawkeyes. Well, Cade had brought high expectations to one of the worst offenses in college football the past few seasons. As you heard Kirk say at the top of the show, he's out for the season with an ACL injury. Your heart goes out for a guy who's had to come back from one injury after another and now has to endure one more setback. Tough break considering, you know, the last two years for him, he's had uh, more than his share of obstacles and challenges from a health standpoint. You just, uh, your heart goes out to guys when you know, they're fighting hard to have a chance to go out and compete and don't have that opportunity due to, to health challenges. But that's a long road in front of him. But, you know, it's a lot better than it was 30 years ago. That's for sure. A lot more predictable. And he's got a great attitude. He'll work hard at it. We room together in camp. We room together when we travel. Um, and so having him is a 
ginormous blessing as well. You know, he really helps me. He has, you know, he has all the experience in the world. He's been there before. And so having that is really nice. You know, Kate and I are very good friends. And, you know, I just been talking to him, telling him I'm going to pray for him and hope for the best. You know, I don't know exactly what his injury is. I don't know if anybody does yet. But, you know, I'm here for him if he ever needs me. And, you know, I think the whole team's here for him too. And he was, he was voted captain still, so it's not like anything's changed. Now, Matt, this is something that you've gone through. Back in 2016, you suffered a season-ending foot injury. He, you came back for another year to finish your senior season. So you have experience in a situation like this one. Uh, what is it like not only realizing that your season is done, but then knowing that you're going to have to put that work in by yourself to get back up to speed in the next year? Well, it's an opportunity. And it sounds weird, right, because you're, you're not getting a chance to go and compete in all the hard work that you do, you're set back a year, right? But it's an opportunity to learn how you can become a better person, a better player, a better teammate, and how can you understand the game better? You know, Cade was in, in, in a situation where he's trying to uh, learn an entire new offense and then command the guys to get down there and do what they need to do, right? But now he's got a full year to understand as many nuances of the Coach Brian offense as possible to be able to come back next season and do what he needs to do. And, and along the way, he can coach up Deacon Hill. He can see how his receivers cut. He can see how his effect as a leader is challenged when you're not out there actually competing. So I think it's an opportunity for Cade to really show what kind of leadership he actually has. Now, in terms of like fighting to come back, I mean, that's a mental challenge, right? <laughs> if you can overcome something like that, I remember the first time I took a cut and I took it like a baby, like I, I rounded it and I got mad at myself, like that's not who I'm gonna be and was able to overcome that. And I mean, those little adversity things, that's what leads to like great players down the road. Does it get harder the more injuries stack up for him? Cause this is, you know, the third one that we've seen just in the last, you know, year or so. Um, do you think that gets more of a challenge, more of a mental hurdle to clear once you keep having those injuries pile up as your career goes on? I think to a point. I think it also depends on your support system. You know, if, if I know anything about Iowa football is that it's a family. Mm -hmm. I mean, you heard the sound clips there. I mean, those guys are going to be there for him to pull him along. And when you've got guys all pulling in the same direction, like a tug of war, if everybody's pulling in the same direction, it's a lot easier to pull it. And so the, the fact of the matter is they understand Cade's the guy. Deacon's going to step in now and do as good of a job as possible, but Cade's going to continue to work knowing that he's got the, the support of everybody around him. Who were those guys for you when you had your foot injury that really rallied around you and helped support you in that time? I mean, really, the whole receiver room was, was awesome. Uh, but really, quarterbacks too, running backs. Like I, I was boys with a lot of guys on the team. Mm -hmm. And so, and I lived with uh, LaShawn Daniels and Boone Myers. And so they were always with me to kind of help me through the harder stuff. Um, but really, it's just a matter of, you know, keeping that guy engaged. And those guys were there, were there for me. And I expect that for Cade. Sure. Well, Deacon Hill's time as a Hawkeye QB one comes a lot sooner than he or any Hawkeye fans might have wanted. But the six foot three, 258-pound sophomore Wisconsin transfer will be starting under center for the foreseeable future. While his numbers didn't jump off the stat sheet, he did manage to get that first win as Iowa's primary QB. Obviously, I wish it would have came under different circumstances. Um, you know, I love Cade and wanted the best for him, you know, but it's kind of, it's how football is, you know, there's injuries, it's part of the game. So now it's just my turn um, and I think I just got to keep working as like I have. He's a smart guy. He works at it. That's that's probably the key element for everything. And uh, yeah, I think he's hearing, hearing the right things. And it's just a matter of every repetition is going to help him. And certainly game reps will help him too now. There really wasn't much of a change, you know, when Deacon went on our center, just because I had a lot of reps with him, you know, this past spring. You know, I'm very confident that when he's under center that he's going to get the job done. And, you know, he got the job done this past Saturday. He did a great job. And I think he has that confidence in himself. You know, if you don't have confidence in yourself, I don't know if you're going to be able to lead. But he definitely has that. He, he demonstrated that on Saturday. 
So, Matt, we're seeing a quarterback change midseason. This is, again, something that you played through. 2014, C.J. Beathard came in for Jake Rudock. How much of a challenge is it for the guys on that team to adjust to a new quarterback, especially in-game like they had to do on Saturday? An interesting part of it is the cadence. Not something you normally think about, but guys' inflection of their voice or whether or not it's a little bit deeper. Can they understand things? Uh, so that's a little nuanced thing, and I'm glad that uh, our offensive line was able to be just fine. You know, we didn't have any false starts or anything. Uh, but knowing that, it's tough when you're going back and forth between guys because it's like, who's our true signal caller? But once that's determined and it's like, okay, you know Deacon's the guy based on how Cade went down, like now we need to elevate our game in order to make sure that we don't lose anything by Deacon coming in. And I think they did that. So really it's the other 10 guys picking up Deacon Hill to make sure that there's no drop off in gameplay. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but as a receiver, again, adjusting mid-game to a new quarterback, is that hard to adjust to just the, the ball coming off the hand a little bit differently? I mean, it sounds like Deacon has a little bit more zip on the ball. They even talked about that after the game. Is that a challenge for the receivers too? I think on the short game, because uh, like I had mentioned, it's quick slants, it's things like that. It's real, uh, real quick over the middle. I think Nico had one as well. Uh, now Eric had one when Cade was in the game. It was a quick out towards the end zone. So, I mean, it's not always excusable, mm -hmm. but uh, the fact that I feel confident that they're going to button that kind of stuff up. And I know the receivers, there's a magnifying glass based on how the narrative has fit, you know, in terms of not getting as many targets. And then, and then they go out and do that, right? So now they have the opportunity to right the ship. I know Coach Copeland's getting those guys ready. Um, and to be honest, the, the other 11 guys from Michigan State don't care who's that quarterback, <laughs> right? They don't care whether or not the ball comes out different. It's we need to make the plays when they're when they're there for us. Uh, in terms of watching that game on Saturday, seeing Deacon Hill saw him for a full three quarters, was there anything in particular that you really liked from what you saw to him or anything that was a cause of concern when you see him at quarterback? The, com the composure in the pocket, like I said, he's the same size <laughs> as some of those linemen, so I think he feels more comfortable there. But really, we did a lot more rolling out than we've done the previous few games, and it's not common to see a guy that's 260 roll like that. <laughs> uh, but he was able to throw on the run. Again, the one interception he was rolling, and uh, he just threw it late. But the other one to Eric All, I feel his command of the ball is what's going to separate him in terms of being able to to move his play forward. Sure. Well, no question. The most electrifying member of the 2023 Hawkeye football team plays defense and special teams and possibly offense. Odebol, Iowa native Cooper DeGene's 70-yard punt return touchdown gave Iowa a lead that flipped the momentum of the game on its head. He is dynamic with ball in his hands, which begs the question, would Kirk Ferentz ever have Cooper line up on offense? That's a discussion, a thought, and believe me, we've all had it and had that discussion. If you did a pitch count on Cooper, Cooper's getting a lot of a lot of snaps. So I, I suppose you could do it, but you know, you don't you don't want to compromise what we've got defensively right now. That's a consideration. If it happens, it'll happen. Um, but you know, right right now, I don't I don't think that's the plan. But you never know. It'd be cool. Um, but. I don't know. I'd, I'd let the coaches decide that. It's great to talk about, but it's a little bit more complicated in terms of the impact and the, and the ripples that it that causes or, uh, you know, the impact it could have on several places. So. I got a couple snaps on offense, you know, with the, with the kneel down. That's, that's probably my favorite play right now. So technically, he has seen some time on offense, just been in victory formation. Matt, you played with some really dynamic guys, Akram, Wadley, Desmond Keem, to name, name a couple of them. What do you see that from Cooper DeGene that makes him so, so special? Where do you think he ranks among some of those most explosive Hawkeyes that you've seen over the last decade or so? Oh, yeah, he's, he's definitely up there. Yeah. Uh, part of it is he doesn't seem like he gets too high or too low. I don't know if uh, you guys can see like his face. If you go back and watch a highlight of either the interception or the punt return touchdown, 
he's deadpan. <laughs> it's like it didn't even phase him. Like this is literally what I do every day. Like that's the kind of mindset he has. And those guys are scary when you're having fun and making those kinds of plays. But yeah, I think he's definitely up there in terms of what he can do. Now to Coach Ferentz's point, talk about how so he's on the punt unit. So every time he's up on the field, he's doing a 50-yard sprint, mm -hmm. and then he's on defense for how many, and then he goes back on punt return. I mean, it's certainly asking a lot, depending upon how many package plays you could give him on offense, uh -huh. uh, but he's a dynamic uh, enough player that he could, in my opinion. We did ask Cooper about that, and he did have a little bit of a twinkle in his eye that maybe there have been discussions about putting him out there on offense. Played quarterback in high school, of course. He was a wide receiver as a sophomore in high school. Do you envision that Iowa actually would ever line him up on offense? Do you see that happening? If it's a small package, <laughs> you know, uh, Travis Hunter, you know, from Colorado, uh -huh. who he was doing something like that. I don't know how consistently you can be out there for 115 plays. I think when I was there, the average offensive snaps were between 65 and 70. And so to ask almost double that on mm -hmm. a consistent basis, I think would be tough. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a quick, you know, five, six play set that he mm -hmm. could make happen. Especially right now, it's hard because the defense is already playing about twice as many snaps as the offense is playing. So he's already on the field a lot. A lot of struggles for this Iowa offense, especially the past three years. Right now, they're currently 132nd out of 133 in total offense, 131st in passing offense, and are below 100 in rushing and scoring. We've seen the offense make some strides if you take out the Penn State game. Matt, where do you think that this offense needs to improve the most as they go ahead in a Big Ten play? Uh, you know, I've actually talked to a couple of my buddies that I played with, you know, just kind of what each of us are seeing. Obviously, if the receivers make the plays against Michigan State, uh, the catches, that number looks a little bit different, yeah. right? Uh, but I think our running game usually is what we lean on. Uh, I think we only had 70 yards last week. Normally, uh, and when I was there in 2015, I think we had 2,000-yard rushers between Akram and LaShawn. So we're used to being able to run the football uh, kind of at will. But understanding that maybe our pass game isn't going to have to be like an extension of the run game, just quick passes, something to lighten, lighten up the defense. It's hard to run into eight- and nine-man boxes. So the fact that hopefully we can spread guys out, make them defend the whole field if we do get the receivers involved, and I think that'll help this offense moving forward. Well, had it not been for Cooper DeGene's heroics, Saturday night star Hawkeye might have been Drew Stevens, who went 4-for-4 four four on field goals, including a 53-yarder through five games this season. The sophomore kicker is 8-9 on field goals. He's never missed a PAT in 35 attempts, and he's come a long way from last spring until now. If you think about where he was a year ago, spring when he was here, and both, you know, our, our place kicking just looked terrible that spring, maybe as bad as I've seen in a couple decades. And the improvement he made just from that time, spring till last fall, through the fall, it's impressive. And he's, you know, he's a bigger, more mature kid now, and he's, uh, he's done a really nice job. When I came in, I was like 5'11", 167. And like, that's only going to go so far. Like, you can only kick it so far, being that way. And I, I think I just like didn't understand that. But now being here and like going through the strength and conditioning program and the way they built me up, now I understand that like, the changes you do to your body and what it will do for your game. Matt Vandenberg back with us on Eye on the Hawks. Matt, I don't know if uh, kicking is your area of expertise, but surely any Hawkeye fan has to be happy with what they've seen out of Drew, especially knowing he's still got two more years of eligibility after this one. Uh, it's pretty cool to see that he hasn't missed a PAT. Uh, in 2015, I scored four touchdowns, and Marshall Kane, I think, only made one of those PATs. No <laughs> offense, Marshall. Uh, love you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 
it's it's what Iowa football is. It's consistent defense and it's making the plays on special teams, right? You got Torrey Taylor, who's obviously an All-American guy that gets after it. You don't really question too much about what he does. And Drew Steven, I think, is starting to add himself to that conversation. On the return game, uh, if we get a kick return, it kind of seems like kickers have been kicking away from us, which mm-hmm. I would too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Cooper DeGene on the punt return unit. I mean, it's it's so many good things on the defense and special teams that that's kind of the way that Iowa's built. Back in the spring, Drew Stevens told us that he'd put on 40 pounds of weight from last season to where he is now, or at least from the start of his career as a Hawkeye to where he is now. You were just telling me about uh, Keith Duncan, that he's one of the strongest guys that you've ever seen on the Hawkeye roster. About pound for pound, pound we should for pound. clarify. Pound for pound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at a, I think he was like 150 body weight. He was moving three bills easy. Uh, it was it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, but so actually interesting. I got there at 162, and then I left at 190 plus. Uh, Iowa knows how to conduct their strength conditioning program to get guys into their optimal physical condition. So I'm not I'm not too surprised by Drew's answer. Is this just the expectation under Lavar Woods that you bring in a good special teams player and he's going to become a great special teams? player? I'd say anybody that Coach Woods is coaching. Uh, when he was tight ends coach, obviously it became tight end you, and now uh, <laughs> you know those players are continuing to move forward, and now special teams are make, taking a big jump. I think anything that Coach Woods does I think is, is good right now for Iowa football. Well, Iowa's 2015 win over Purdue was a particularly special one because it clinched the Hawkeyes' first ever Big Ten West title. Mitch Vick is catching up with one of Matt's teammates from that season to look back at the win. Austin Blythe shares his perspective of a historic win on a brutally cold day at Kinnick. You're in the middle of a magical season, Austin. What do you remember about waking up that day and seeing that much snow out in Iowa City and just knowing that there's a lot on the table, some really cool stuff could happen today, but it's gonna be one of those brutally cold Iowa November games. What do you remember about that day and that morning just going in? Yeah, I I actually remember being relieved when I woke up because I think I remember the forecast being the snow hitting right about game time. So to wake up and and know that the snow is over and they'd have plenty of time to clear the field for us to play because I was anticipating playing in a snowstorm. So, uh, you know, but I've I've always wanted to play in a snowstorm, I guess. I I never got the opportunity to. Um, But I mean, just senior day, being able to clinch the West, um, all that rolled into that day uh, made it pretty special and, and made the snow pretty forgettable. You're, you're two wins away from a, a clean sweep of the regular season, the division titles on the table, a trip to Indies up there. Uh, what do you remember about just the specific mindset going into that Purdue game, knowing what was possible from there? Yeah, I think what was so special about that team in 15 was just guys being able to compartmentalize one game each week, finishing the week 1-0, and then at the end of the season, that's what leads you to that 12-0 season. So being able to just focus on the moment, um, which was beating Purdue uh, on that Saturday. And um, the effect of winning that game was winning the West uh, because we had taken care of business each week up until that point. So I think that's just what made that team so special. It was just a bunch of guys who understood that and, and played hard every Saturday. getting us going. Um, I can't imagine Kinnick without the fans. We're back on the Hawks with former wide receiver Matt Vandenberg. Second half against Michigan State. Kinnick Stadium was electric last Saturday night, as are most night games there. Matt, you played in a few games under the lights with massive, massive stakes in those games. What game during your career there had the best atmosphere from your memory? 
Is it is it fair to say everyone? Is that is that bad? <laughs> I mean, we like a specific <laughs> one, but you I'll take uh, you can put that too. I'll take 2015 night game uh, against Minnesota because we don't get in many shootouts. Hmm. But that was a 40 to 35 game. I remember uh, Lashawn uh, hit like a 40 yard. Uh, run up the sideline and like everybody went crazy. Tavon actually threw me a pass. We did a wide receiver pass. That never gets called. So like that kind of stuff uh, amplified it. But the jerseys were awesome. I mean, obviously Ohio State 2017. Mm-hmm. Can't uh, miss that one, 55-24. Yeah. I don't know how many times I see that around. So I think those two games, I, I can't really button it up to one. Those two games were really uh, a very cool thing to be a part of. Can you confirm that even as a player, going out there for a night game makes a difference or it does feel a little bit different than a normal day at Koenig? Oh, 100%. I mean, an 11 o'clock kickoff, you're up at... <laughs> Probably like 6 a.m. because uh, breakfast begins at 7, but the way that the schedule reads, you really got to be there at like 6.43. And so, like, it's different. But night game, I mean, everybody's got all day to hydrate and get ready for the game, and so that, that kind of adds to it. Where are you for most games right now? I know your wife is there on the sideline, of course. Uh, are you there with her or watching from the stands, the press box? Where are you on Saturdays? Yeah, over on all those answers. Uh, I'm downstairs. <laughs> I've got like this uh, wall that I got a projector set up, and then behind it, uh, I've got a bunch of toys because I watch my two-and-a-half-year-old and my four-and-a-half-month-old, mm-hmm. uh, and they... Uh, Keep me busy, but at least I've got Hulu. I can pause it and do what I need to do and then uh, take care of the game. So when was your last game at Kinnick that you were actually there? Four Uh, years ago? Five years ago? Actually, uh, so a buddy of mine, LaShawn, was an honorary captain last year, Uh and they gave him uh, some tickets up in the suite. Okay. And so thankfully I got to bring Dax because I don't don't trust my son in the bleachers. (laughs) (laughs) So if I got a confined room, I feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah. Well, not a night game this week. Kickoff is set for 2.30 for the Iowa-Purdue game. The Boilermakers are 2-3. and three. Started off slow, but coming off an impressive 44-19 win against Illinois. Curtis Fader takes a deeper dive on a Purdue team that's averaging nearly 400 yards of offense and 28 points a game. While former Hawkeye Charlie Jones is no longer around for the Boilermakers to wreak havoc against Iowa, there's another familiar face for Purdue that Hawk fans may recognize that can be a dangerous threat, Tyrone Tracy. Tracy spent four years at Iowa playing wide receiver before transferring to the Boilermakers last year. He's gotten significant playing time this season at running back. Though through five games, Tracy has produced leading rusher, averaging over six yards per carry with 288 yards on the ground and five touchdowns. Tracy's former teammates know the danger he poses on the field come Saturday. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, he's certainly a dynamic player, you know, a good athlete. And so, you know, you, you see that carryover from when he was here. Um, you know, we knew that when he's, he was he was here, and he's a hard worker, and so um, you know it's just going to be a tough uh, challenge for us to try to uh, hold him down and manage him. Purdue also made a significant upgrade at quarterback, bringing in Hudson Card as a transfer from Texas. Dual threat quarterback is averaging nearly 250 yards passing per game, and is coming off an excellent game against Illinois, generating a 164.7 passer rating. Card also has some serious weapons like a speed demon, Dion Burks who's caught four out of Card's five touchdown passes. This new quarterback's mobility is definitely the big takeaway from this Hawkeye defense. This is not me hating on Aiden O'Connell, but I think, you know, the, the guy the guy right now, he's he can he can run a little bit more, um, maybe than than and they use him in, in the quarterback run game a little bit. Um, so he's he's mobile. That's that's something we're gonna have to to, to focus on, um, you know, this week and we got guys on the scout team that are that are giving a good, a good look. Um, you know, and then they, they got some good players out on the edges, you know, at, at receiver, um, some fast guys. Um, so it, it'll, be, it'll be a good challenge for us. With this weekend marking the first Big Ten West division game, now is the time for the Hawkeyes to separate themselves 
But with the injuries to Iowa's offense as expansive as it is, this game will be a major litmus test for not only the defensive unit to step up even further, but also for the Hawkeyes' aspirations to play in Indianapolis come December. Well, heads up to any Hawkeye fans that aren't aware, but the Iowa game this week isn't on traditional television. It streams exclusively on the Peacock app. Hope you get that one at home, Matt. The app costs about six bucks a month. This will be more common moving forward after the Big Ten got a new TV deal that started this season. There are also two men's basketball games and seven women's games streaming on Peacock this upcoming season. Matt Vandenberg, over your time in Iowa City, you played a lot of games against Purdue, both in Iowa City in 2015 and 2017. What do you remember about those games in particular, the culture around Purdue, and what kind of team they bring to the table? Uh, defensively, they do a lot of weird things. I remember in 2017, uh, sometimes they would have one lineman with his hand down, so it looks a little funky with everybody else standing there. Uh, they can shift to a 4-3, they can shift to a 3-4, kind of depending upon what happens up front really changes all of our protection. Everything's based off where the quarterback points the buck is, and then the line has to determine based off that point who blocks who, and then the receivers have to figure out who they're hot off of based on where the quarterback points. So there's a lot of moving parts that go with that. So it's going to be incumbent upon the offensive line, as it is every week, you know, making sure that they're protecting the quarterback. But even our young running backs, you know, I, I think uh, I, I'm hopeful that Caleb Johnson comes back this week. Uh, but I don't know about Jazzy and Patterson and then uh, LaShawn Williams, making sure that their run fits or excuse me, their blitz pickup is ready to go because they're going to bring some pressure. They brought some pressure against Illinois, got some cornerback blitzes, uh, things like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how our offense molds or merges together, I guess, after uh, this week with Deacon Hill under center. Sounds like we're likely to maybe see Caleb in there. Jazz probably not going to be out there. Uh, maybe next week it sounds like Kirk says that Jazz could be back in the lineup. Well, it's, it's not a trophy game, but still 93 all-time meetings against Purdue. That's the most against any school not named Minnesota or Wisconsin. As a player, do, do you remember the Purdue game taking on any more significance than any others on the schedule? Uh, 2015, just yeah. because we clinched the West against That's them. That's true, yeah. yeah. Uh, but outside of that, the way that the building works at Iowa is that you only get 12 guaranteed opportunities. So you take 12 weekends, there's 52 weeks, so you work for 40 weeks for 12 days. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't. I, I have to let it like sit. Like that's it. So that's why every game is important. You know, yeah, like, oh, are true. you overlooking them? Getting ready for the next game? It's like it's really like this is all you get. You know, you've already uh, you're already four or five games into the season. You can't look back on anything of the, uh, of those. So you have to focus on what's in front of you. So you can hopefully end up the season in Indianapolis. We heard Curtis talk about Hudson Card and Tyrone Tracy, especially from I don't I don't know how much film you've watched on Purdue, how much you've seen out of them, but anybody else that you've seen on that lineup that fans should be watching for when Purdue comes to town. I don't know about a specific player, but the fact that Hudson Card is willing to take chances. Mm -hmm. They tr they tried Illinois corners a lot, mm -hmm. and that's something that they've done. I mean, even since Riley Moss was a freshman, kind of his uh, welcome to college football uh, <laughs> when we had Julius Brents on the other side and, and just hucking them. And so that's something that they're willing to do. They're willing to take risks. And I hope, I hope they challenge number three because I'd love to see that. We're back on Eye the Hawks with our guest for the week, Matt Vandenberg, a former Hawkeye receiver, and he hasn't gone too far from Iowa City. Matt, just tell us a little bit about what occupies your time these days. Uh, family, uh, yeah. a lot of it, but uh, I'm also a real estate agent for Urban Acres uh, Real Estate, kind of the corridor area, but really anywhere from like Lone Tree, Kelowna, all the way up to Hiawatha, Fairfax. Um, and then we have a podcast called Talking Hawks with the Vandenbergs. Check it out. Plug. And uh, also... Um, uh, coach at Solon High School mm -hmm. uh, and been the wide receivers coach now going on my second year so uh, a lot going on especially with the two kids. Heck of a team you got there Solon this year those guys are ranked pretty high you got a big game coming up against Williamsburg this week two of the best teams in the state uh, how are you enjoying that the coaching world is that something you want to do more of in the future or is this something that you just kind of enjoy as a side hustle? 
A little bit of both, uh-huh. you know? I mean, I think anytime, and maybe it's just because like Iowa has wired me this way, that like once you start something, it's like, how far could I take it? But at the same token, I also enjoy it just kind of being a hobby and I can spend time with my family and, uh, you know, watch Dax throw a ball. He's terrible right now, but like he'll get there. <laughs> uh, you know, throw balls at my four and a half month uh, old daughter and she doesn't quite get it yet. So like <laughs> coaching them is a lot more fun, but at the same token, being able to try and make better people is really why I'm into it. Like I enjoy football and talking scheme, but if we can try and make the youth generation just a little bit better, you know, better husbands, better fathers, better brothers, better sons, I think that's really why you should be in coaching. Not even the only Hawkeye on that staff, Aaron Campman over there coaching. Aaron Campman, Marcus Schnorr, uh, yeah. we, we got some dudes. Yeah, uh, coaching staff's doing a heck of a job. I bet they can't wait till that sun of yours gets up there. Well, let's uh, get into some game picks for this week, week six of college football, starting in the Big Ten West, pair of teams with identical two and three records, both 0 and 2 in the Big Ten, coming off a some monster losses. Illinois is a three-point favorite at home against Nebraska on Friday night. Who gets their first Big Ten this week, Matt? I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Illinois. I mean, it's just Nebraska. I can't ever pick Nebraska. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would tend to agree with you. I think that they've got a good team this year, and uh, Illinois. Uh, they were a heavy favorite, maybe not to win the Big Ten West, but to at least be a team that competes in the Big Ten West. So um, I have to think that Illinois has got the got to be the favorite this week. Uh, next, Rutgers travels to Madison a week before Iowa does. The Scarlet Knights are 14-point dogs on the road. Matt, who do you think wins? Uh, maybe that's an obvious question, but do you think that Rutgers keeps it close with the Badgers? I do think they at least get there. I mean, Rutgers normally starts out the season pretty hot, similar to Maryland, but then they kind of tailor off once they hit Big Ten play. Uh, Wisconsin kind of new-look Badgers with uh, Luke Fickle mm-hmm. at, at head coach, so uh, I'm interested to kind of see how they approach this part of Big Ten play. Uh, possible trap game? I mean, I have to imagine that Wisconsin is looking ahead a little bit to Iowa, even though they always say that they're not looking ahead. They're, <laughs> it's still one of those trap games that they know that the Big Ten West title probably goes through that Wisconsin-Iowa game, so um, it's going to be interesting once Iowa heads there next week. Now to the Hawkeye homecoming game. Iowa is a two-and-a-half-point favorite hosting Purdue. The Hawkeyes trying to keep up with the Badgers in the Big Ten West race. Matt, does Deacon Hill get his first win as a starter this week? Yeah, yeah. I just think defense special teams, I think we're better than they are. Uh, Offensively, I think that we're going to be buttoned up enough. I think if we need to go max protect, we're going to do those kinds of things. And I think we saw it last week, just get the hands into the playmakers. They just need to make the catches. That's why I'm calling that an outlier. (laughs) But if you continue to do that, I think this offense can improve week to week. All right, thanks for joining us on Eye on the Hawks, and we'll see you next week.